All right, welcome. <laughs> this is the very first uh, Outside In Music, what do we call it? Happy Hour? Happy uh, Hour. We're with uh, some really great Cheers. musicians. We've got Chris Madsen from Chicago, We've got Peter Anderson and Will Anderson uh, from New York. So why don't you guys just take a few seconds to uh, introduce yourselves and then we'll kind of try to chat about what you're up to in this uh, super fun time we're in here. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, everybody. I'm Chris Madsen. I'm a saxophone player and um, I live in Chicago, the Chicago area. And I, uh, I grew up here and uh, spent some time in New York. I went to uh, grad school out there with the illustrious Anderson twins. Uh, roughly, we, we coincided roughly around the same time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I moved back in 2006 and uh, since, and I just released um, my first album on Outside In back in uh, first of 2019. It's a it's an album of all original music and uh, um, yeah, we're just kind of trying to make the best of this rather situation that we're all in here. So, but it's I'm happy to be here with all of you. Cool. My name is Will Anderson. I live in New York City. I'm originally from the D.C. area and um, I. Went to went through the Juilliard Jazz Program with Nick Finzer and my brother and Chris Madsen and uh, my brother set to release our first album on Outside In in May. That's a quintet album with mostly original music, and so we might talk about that a little bit and just talk about. We've got a lot of other projects coming up. Um, hopefully most of which are not canceled. Um, but I'm trying to make the most of my quarantine time by just shedding and uh, arranging and composing, that kind of thing. Nice. Peter? Sure, yeah. Peter Anderson here. Um, also, um, yeah, my brother and I are really excited to release this new album of um, with Jimmy Cobb next month. And... Um, yeah, I think we're in a strange time where a lot of our live performances are canceled. But in, in a strange way, I think it could be good because um, a lot of this, these efforts to get on the social media, um, teach lessons online, I think these mediums are going to um, be boosted by this situation that we're in now. I mean, they were already increasing, you know, online lessons, uh, Spotify, uh, YouTube channels, all these things are great mediums to get our art out there, and then going to be boosted by what we're the situation we're in now. For sure. And Alan, you want to introduce yourself? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm Alan Blanchard. I work at Outside In Music with uh, with Nick, and I'm in Nashville now. I went through Florida State, not Juilliard. Uh, everyone else in the call, evidently. Uh, <laughs> trumpet you know but working at the label for a couple of years now and you know thing everyone else staying inside washing your hands uh <laughs> you know tons of the gigs raining in as we as we all know mm. but we're just we're here hanging cool well it's 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 good by the way to finally uh match a name with a face because we've been emailing a lot alan <laughs> yeah yeah it's all it's face actually my brother and i uh were scheduled to be in nashville performing in a couple of days are you guys still uh, coming through no yeah it got oh. it got canceled yeah it was actually gonna be gonna be uh on what was it thursday or friday and, actually, and Nick, you, you were supposed to be there the same night as us and that 
Oh, is that right? Yeah. A couple of, like, yeah, next Saturday or something. Yeah. yeah. Canceled? Oh, yeah, it's canceled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were going to come by our gig. That would have been fun. But Where we'll were you guys to... going to be playing? What was the name of the, the venue? It was a, Oh, uh, we're, we're playing at the First Presbyterian Church in Nashville. Mm, okay. Nice. Uh, and I imagine you guys had more stuff that maybe got canceled. You were supposed to go on, you guys do a lot of touring with you two plus a guitarist, right? Yeah, yeah, we had a whole bunch of stuff. We, uh, um, we were about to leave for Arizona um, for like fi a five gig trip to Phoenix and Sedona and Tucson. And uh, we, like night before we were about to leave, um, they made the travel restrictions for Europe. So they cut all flights to Europe. So I was just thinking, you know, what if we get out to Arizona and while we're there, you know, our gigs get canceled and stuff. So we made the hard decision to not leave and just stay in New York. And, you know, lo and behold, the next day, all of the venues we were supposed to play at canceled our performances. So it was kind of like a decision we had to make up front, but it, it, uh, was, it was the right decision. And then, yeah, we've had stuff in Texas and California coming up next month that all got canceled, so. Wow. Yeah, I was in, um, I was with Lucas Pino, we were in Reno, and uh, the gig hadn't been canceled yet, and we were like, we gotta get out of here, because they just were canceling all the flights, and we are just like, I don't wanna get stuck. I don't wanna get hmm. stuck in Nevada, hmm. and not be able to get, get out of here. But um, yeah, really. what about you, Chris? What's been, what's been coming up that had to get rescheduled? Oh man, um, I don't do a ton of touring. I I'm, I mainly stay in the Chicagoland area, um, and you know I, I do I have a uh, college teaching gig, and so I do a bunch of uh, educational kind of educate and jazz season. I guess I don't know. I, I'm assuming it's probably like that around uh, the country, but at least here in Chicagoland. Um, this is when a lot of the uh, like the high school invitational festivals and collegiate invitationals happen basically you know january through march and you know those are those are some of them were already in the bag but some of them got canned and uh yeah i've had a lot of local things kind of fall through uh it's really it's really a drag but i do i do have my um my college teaching gig i teach at the university of illinois at chicago that's my main teaching that I do. And then I also teach up in Wisconsin because I live pretty close to the Wisconsin border. So I teach at uh, UW Parkside, which is in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, actually, Russ Johnson, who's this monster trumpeter. Uh, some of you guys he used to live in New York. I'm, I'm sure some of you guys know him. He directs the program there. Um, and so I teach up there with him. And uh, we're now just switching. Everything is online. And classes. we're technically on spring break right now. And I think all the classes are going to be remotely held uh after spring break they're just we're, we're doing we're using zoom or we're using uh, blackboard or whatever else comes up um but yeah it's just uh it's just really kind of a drag but i, I think uh i keep thinking to myself that everyone's going to um from this quarantine being just absolute monsters you know just we're all going <laughs> to all have been practicing so much that will just be just everyone's just going to be cutting each other left and right it's going to be it's going to the scene is going to be just insanely competitive by the time we get out because we'll all be that much better at our instruments at least that's what i hope because i know that you know 
uh, I, I've been shedding more, more than usual, obviously plenty of time now. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of the way it is, just trying to deal with it the best I can. That makes sense. Um, so what are, you, what, are you, what are you shedding? What are you working on? I'm going to steal all your oh. ideas. Oh, <laughs> well, actually, uh, something I, I did want to talk about, something that I can still maintain during this, uh, this quarantine is the social media stuff that I uh, personally, that, I, that I've sort of started for over, the, over the past maybe 18 months or so, I had this series that I, that I do called Alternate Jazz History, where I, uh, I sort of, um, I pair a, um, an unlikely history, historical pairing of a, a certain saxophonist with a, with a, a um, unexpected repertoire that they would never have actually been able to play before. Mm. And uh, something that I've, I've always kind of felt like I've been able to do musical impersonations pretty well. Um, that's always been something that came relatively easy. Um, and so I'm able to sort of, you know, try, try to inhabit the, the spirit of another saxophone player. And like the first one I did was Don Bias plays giant steps, that kind of thing, you know, like you would never hear that, but this is maybe something, you know, this is my take on what it might've sounded like if he was able to do that. So I've been working overtime on those. I actually took a few months off just because it's very time consuming to put that stuff together. And I have to sort of veer off my practice regimen to sort of learn another person's style pretty intimately. Um, but I've been able to sort of veer, uh, I, I've been able to just kind of go get back into that. Um, so I'm working on one right now, um, which is, yeah, that's just a, it's just a, uh, social media thing that, uh, it's, it's free and I don't have to leave the house for it. So it's like, it's perfectly, it's perfect for the quarantine. Yeah. No, I've, I've seen a bunch of, Oh, thanks man. I appreciate it. Are, are you, so are you like, do you have a, an, another one on the, uh, on the docket that you want to, <laughs> you want to, uh, give a hint about? You're asking me to make news right now? Right? Yeah. <laughs> is <that what> <laughs> this is, this is going to be on Buzzfeed tomorrow morning. <laughs> okay. Thanks for the heads up. Uh, I can't, no, I don't, I can't, uh, let it out of the bag too soon. I am working on, I'm working on one that's a, that's trading fours right now. So cool. we've got one, one person trading fours with another person and I'm going to splice them together and, uh, just over a blues, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm sort of trying to take on two, two different people at once right now. So let me, get, kind of let me guess, is, is that the, the Peter Anderson and Will Anderson? Oh. <laughs> Wow, look at the time. I got to go, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, so if you don't mind me asking, like, how are you going to splice it together? Oh, I just, I, I don't have any fancy editing or anything. I just use, uh, like, iMovie, you know, the, right. the that comes me on the too. Mac. And uh, so I just take, I'll take, a, I've already done one of them. I've already, I, I'll take the movie of one and then just kind of uh, take another one. And I think in iMovie, they make it pretty easy for you to splice stuff together. Right. Uh, up to a certain point points just whatever cool. is free so it's gonna be like you playing the whole time yeah me playing but different camera angles where i'm on the left and then i'm on the right and then you know the names of the and that's cool back and forth yeah i'm gonna i'm trying man it's hard it's a really tough project because mm -hmm. uh we all want to work on our own individual sounds you know like that's that's the that's the whole point really of playing jazz yeah. but this little side project has got me trying to um, sort of go back to when I was transcribing a bunch, you know, like in college and in grad school and 
trying to get back into those um, th those sonic worlds of, of those players that I haven't really inhabited in a long time. So it's it's tough, but I, I it seems to get a pretty positive reaction, and people seem to like it and think it's funny and and interesting. So uh, I'll definitely keep doing that as long as we're stuck in the house. I've, here, I've sure. seen all your uh, all of those videos on Facebook, but do you? Put them on other um, mediums like, uh, you know, YouTube or Vimeo or any of those. I do. I do put them on YouTube. I mean, I don't. I don't really um, worry too much about my follower count on YouTube. I don't. I don't know how all of you guys are. If your YouTube account is sort of something that you really um, try to maintain, you know. But I'd, I'd rather have an active follower base on Instagram and Facebook. I'd rather those be a little, it just seems, um, I don't know, this, the medium for, for those just seems a little bit more um, immediate for, for whatever reason. But um, yeah, I do, I do. I put them all up on YouTube so that you can, you can always go and check them out up there. Cool. So yeah, alternate jazz history. It's a hashtag. You can use that hashtag if you want to check them out. And, and how many have you made? Uh, I think I just made my 10th one. Cool. I, I go in little... See? Oh, I just said, which one is your favorite? Oh, uh, <laughs> oh man, that's that's tough. I dislike them all equally. Would <laughs> <laughs> you actually like hit the dislike button on? <laughs> of course, yes, of course. No, I, I don't. I don't know, man. I, I've. Uh, I guess the last one I did was was pretty fun because I, I had taken so many. I'd taken like four or five months off from it. Um, and I did Coleman Hawkins plays uh, Sing a Song of Song, the Kenny Garrett Sing a Song of Song. Um, I gotta go watch that. And I, yeah, it's funny, man. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how accurate it is, but I do my best on them. So I, that's probably that that one because it feels the freshest to me. It's probably, but I think gonna be my favorite because it takes them. It's taken two people and putting them together, and that's something I haven't done before. Um, so I spent last week studying this one person and then this next week i'll be working on this other person and trying to yeah it's really i don't know why i do it you know but I, it's just it's just for the uh for the hell of it do I guess, you use you know. it with your students at all or is it yeah i don't I, it's not like i have them check those things out or anything i just um you know i just when, when, you know, for transcription, as I'm sure with all the cases with all of you guys, you know, transcription is such an important part of teaching cornerstone of, of right? learning, learning style. And, and um, so I, I kind of I try to let them know certain things that I do to uh, to inhabit the musical personality of other people. Um, and but yeah, I would never force my students to watch those things. They, if they find them, they find them. And more power to them, but uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ask them to check them out or anything like that. Right. With your students, how much are you doing? Uh, like you're picking their transcriptions versus letting them pick it, because yeah, I feel like it's so often they just want to pick the latest thing they've heard. You know. Yeah, exactly. Because a student, it, it it all depends on the student. You know, some need more guidance, and they need you to tell them you should really be transcribing person X. But other other kids will come in with they've got they've got a person that they they want to get to and uh i i, I welcome that if they, you know if they really want to study certain a certain person that's great and it's even better if that person is someone i've never transcribed because then we can kind of learn together cool 
But do, do you guys all use that in your lessons too, transcribing? Is that kind of a big part of what you guys do? For, yeah, for definitely. Yeah, I mean, so, some of my students just don't necessarily have the work ethic. So a lot of times I'll just write it out for them, right. um, which is not ideal. But yeah, I think, I think ideally, um, you know, I'd like all my students to, to be transcribing and learning by memory. Um, yeah. But I find that not everyone has quite the work ethic to, to do that, you know. Yeah. I'm sure you do a lot of that, Nick, in your lessons. Yeah, yeah, we do that. Last semester I had them do, basically try to do half of what Chris is doing. Just like be able to impersonate the person. Like we checked out, I had them pick whoever, uh, whichever trombone player they wanted to check out. And I said, all right, the goal at the end of the semester is you're gonna play a blues like that person. So mm -hmm. like trying to go really deep sometimes I find that we go a little too wide sometimes, like feeling like you gotta check out this, 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 this. And uh, they, don't, they don't always get into, super into like a few people really deep. So that was kind of an experiment and it seemed to work pretty well actually. So I think I might keep doing it. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, it can, be, it can be tough, you know, as like someone that just got out of school, uh, if, in one combo playing the music of Wayne Shorter and then somewhere else you're trying to study the playing of Clifford Brown and then somewhere else trying to study the history of Pops. It's like, how do you get a chance to actually do something, you know, rather than try and do everything? So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm there with you. But yeah, I agree. I, yeah. I totally agree. I think, I think when, like, uh, when we were in school together, Nick and, and Chris, there was a there was a pressure to kind of be able to do everything. Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, you have to know Louis Armstrong, or you can't know, you know all the modern stuff. But I, I I sincerely think that the most successful players really just focused on a few things. Or, you know, I mean, of course, it's important to know as much as you can over a broad period of time. But if you can't do everything that bad thing and uh you know you want to be you know a master of a certain thing not like a jack of all trades mm -hmm. um so i think that's, that's saying chris like if you have a student that comes to you and they want to learn a certain player you know let them do that instead of you know imposing your philosophy on you know on what they do absolutely so how does that tie into how you guys have done your last so many years of touring where you've done like a trio and you guys have found like a way to really keep yourselves busy through specializing? Yeah, well, I guess the thing, the cool thing about our trio is it's just like such an unusual instrumentation um, that like no matter what we do, it's kind of like new in a way. Because mm -hmm. um, like the, you know, very often like the sax or the clarinet has to take a different role in the group you know you have to like um, play a bass line or or um, play harmonies or something like that um, so in a certain way i think it gives it like a freshness compared to like a um uh, uh, like a piano trio hmm. um, but you know you, it doesn't have your, your group doesn't have to be a unique instrumentation to get a unique sound i'm not saying that um, but I think in a, in a, in a way it, it does help, you know. How do you think about that, Chris, in terms of the projects that you put together? 
or don't you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. I do like that. I just played uh, one of my, I think maybe my last gig before this quarantine was uh, myself and uh, it's actually really similar to the Anderson twins um, trio. It was me and a guitarist and a vocalist. And it's, it's the same deal, right? It's like two, two voices and then a chordal instrument. Um, nice. And, and yeah, I love doing that. I love varying up the instrumentation and, and uh, doing all different kinds of gigs with standard groups and then groups like that where you're really forced to be on your toes. Um, and uh, yeah, there's, you know, I, just to kind of tie it into what I was talking about before, there's, I could sort of channel certain players in that atmosphere, right? Like I would never, I would never bust out my Michael Brecker licks in that, in that capacity. It's just like, they wouldn't really work in that, you know what I mean? Um, it just doesn't feel right. And so I feel like the more, the more people you have in your, the more, the more uh, musicians that you have in your belt, from having studied as much as possible and sort of adapt to those different situations that much more. So I really feel like doing that work on the front end helps prepare you. Um, and, uh, you know, contrary to what it might seem like, I feel like the more you transcribe and the more you're able to do impersonations of other people, the easier it is to separate your own voice from those, from the rest of the crowd. You know what I mean? And really, come to your own sound that that way but at the same time Pete you're, what you were saying is totally valid about um, a lot of the people that we revere basically studied like one or two cats you know and like but really really got deep into that um, and found their own sound out of out of those players you know I mean look at train he had probably a handful of players that he really admired and a lot of them were his contemporaries you know but Jeez, man, he came up with, I mean, you know, yeah. he came up with one of the most original concepts in the history of the music. So it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. But I always say, because uh, he, like, he grew up with Train in Philly. He, he said that, that Train sounded exactly like Johnny Hodges when he was young. Oh, wow. That's, that's wild, man. Yeah, absolutely. But before I forget, I just wanted to mention, so Chris just mentioned Michael Brecker, so I'm calling it now. Michael Brecker is going to be the subject of the next Alternate Jazz History. <laughs> well, 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 you'll just have to tune in and see one, dude. I'm just going to have to tune in. <laughs> That's see, the only way. Like whether, whether I'm right or not, I'm kind of building the hype about it. So. <laughs> Yeah, you can thank me later. I can but. use all the hype I can get. Now I'll take I'll take it all. So thank you for that. Exactly. <laughs> no, I think it's a good point with the with the transcriptions. But I think uh, something I've always forgot, you know, is there's like that uh, that feeling like if you don't finish a transcription, like you failed. But breaking yeah. it down, like you know, recognizing that, regardless if you don't want to mimic that person, you know, it's like it's our like orchestral excerpts or whatnot. You know, like that's like technique and, and ear training and like there's so much more to it than just like oh i want to be clifford brown you know and there's nothing wrong if you want to be clifford brown or whatnot i'm like john fattis like wanted to be dizzy that's his thing uh but like the ear training and like the facility that you just get from doing that because obviously they're better than you is uh you know incredible i just I, you know so i don't think students should feel like they're afraid to they're going to sound too much like somebody or they're going to 
they didn't succeed if they didn't get all 20 choruses of Freddie Hubbard playing a blues, you know? Mm. For sure. So, um, Chris, let's uh, circle back here and talk about your record. I know it yeah. came out in November, but, but uh, tell us a little bit about it, who played on it. and Yeah. It's uh, all Chicago rhythm section, uh, Dana Hall and Clark Summers and Stu Mindeman. And, uh, you know, those guys, uh, their resumes speak for themselves. They're, they're uh, some of the most in-demand players, uh, not, in, not just in Chicago, but just all over the world. And I was really, really lucky to be able to, uh, to have them play on it. And not only to record, but also to, um, to play a handful of gigs before we even started, we were, before we even stepped in the studio so that we were pretty much prepared for it. And uh, I had, it had been a long time since I recorded an album of all my original stuff. And I really wanted to do that again and sort of get back onto that track. And uh, so, I had uh, I just asked those guys if they'd be willing to do it, and they all were super down with it. And they learned my music, you know, to to a degree that I I never thought was possible. And um, yeah, it's just fantastic. I love it. In Chicago, um, we're known here for a variety of different things. I think the the AACM kind of um, experimental jazz thing is very uh, tied in with the scene here. But I think it's also that that don't necessarily reference that just because um, Chicago is such a it's you know it's huge it's a it's a huge varied scene there's if not a thousand plus music jazz musicians trying to all kind of do similar things and and they all have their own styles and voices and um, uh, I just think you know being able to provide the so you sort of add to the conversation with original music that is uh, um, not necessarily venturing on the free jazz thing is is important because uh, people need to see that we're doing we're doing other things other than other than that. Yeah, there's plenty of experimental free jazz happening here, but there's a huge amount of people. There's an an entire scene of people that are not really doing that necessarily. Uh, and this was kind of my um, my offering for that, I guess. But yeah, it was it was all original stuff, and we, we had a couple of rehearsals before our first gig, and uh, man, it came together so well. And these guys are just absolute. Just I can't say enough about the rhythm section; they're just absolutely incredible. And uh, it was really thrilling, as as you guys all know, to have your original music played and be given the care yeah. that that you want it to be given it's uh you just like you're just in in debt to those people for the rest of your life for, for them for putting putting the time in and doing that mm -hmm. and uh yeah we had a cd release on november on november 1st at a club here in chicago called constellation and it went really well um and we played at the chicago jazz festival uh, i actually did a little sort of preview um release like a pre-release early release there i had a couple copies available for sale for certain people that were there at the Chicago Jazz Fest. That was back in August, September, I think. Um, so uh, yeah, it's great. I just, I love, I love uh, the scene here. It's, it's really cool. And I, I, I do feel like Chicago is getting a little bit more attention. You know, you get artists like Greg Ward, um, Micaiah McRaven, you know, those kind of people who are really kind of Chicago um, natives and they're taking 
sort of more of a, a center stage in the national scene. Hmm. And uh, I, I, I think it's great. I think it's uh, sort of hipping people to the, to the wide variety of great music that we have here. And I'm happy to play my, you know, whatever part I can in that. Really. So I haven't, I haven't heard the record yet, but um, just one of like inspirations for your compositions. Oh yeah. Like, like particular composers that you like? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think like when I sit down to write uh, just a tune, a, a framework for a tune, I'm really inspired by um, especially probably like my, my number one influence for that. Me always has been, I've always been fascinated by his ability to even work in a trio setting and just make it so uh, through composed and, and, uh, and, and, very very involved you know he's he writes so much density at the piano that i could, I could never approach that on the writing you know my, my my limited piano skills could never approach that but the the way that he's able to orchestrate in in a small group is extremely interesting to me and uh i just uh, he's he might be my favorite jazz composer of all time mm. um just in the, the the creativity that he brought and, and the unique sounds that, that he had so probably, yeah, Chick, and then, you know, just obviously I'm a huge Wayne fan in, in every regard, and he's a, he's a huge influence, and, you know, we all we all kind of share the same influence in that, but, yeah, there's something special. In fact, one of the, 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 the single that we did um, that was released a couple of weeks before the, actually arranged that, I, I wrote it, and it was, uh, it was a composition, not just an arrangement, but it was based on a chick, a chick tune that was very, very involved. And I kind of took chick's tune and then did like, you know, the intro is this long and then the next part and the next mm -hmm. part. And it's like a, it's just like a chamber music piece, all the different, you know, parts that it goes through. It's really incredible. So uh, yeah, hats off to Chick, you know, for being, <laughs> for, for being such an incredible creative person. He's probably my main influence as far as writing goes, uh, you know, when I step back and really look at it. Cool. Nice. And so what I'm curious, this, I know you spent a lot of time in New York. What kind of made you drop, go back to Chicago after spent all the Juilliard time? Yeah. So I was in New York for about three years, a little over three years. And um, I originally moved out there just, you know, to go to grad school at Juilliard. And, and um, uh, I, I, I kind of figured that I would be living there for a while after that. Um, and I did. I spent I spent a, a full year there uh, after um, I was done with school. But it was just kind of New York is just not is this wasn't really for me. Just the, the the scene was great. I loved the music. I loved the musicians and and meeting all you guys and and playing with you know the greatest musicians in the world. Honestly, it was fantastic. But I just couldn't really hang with um, the day to day living uh, that New York requires of you. Um, and I'm sure you guys can, can relate to that to some degree. I mean, it's just like, you don't have the conveniences that you have in certain other, uh, even urban centers, you know, um, it just wasn't really for me. I just, it was really, uh, it caused me a lot of anxiety to just kind of go through the motions of living in New York and putting up with all the, the tough, the tougher parts really started to grate on me after a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's just to a point where I just didn't feel like it was worth it anymore. And also I knew that my wife and I, were, we wanted to have kids eventually and nothing, nothing wrong with raising kids in New York. I think that's, that's a 
fantastic thing. And some of the, uh, man, you, you know, if you raise a kid in New York, your kid is going to be uh, exposed to some of the most, um, you know, intellectually stimulating stuff you can, you can get to. But uh, I wanted a little bit more space. You know, I wanted so we could have a little bit more space um, and, uh, and stuff like that. And, and, and so I, I grew up in a place in Chicago suburbs that was very amenable to that. So I figured that would be a good place to go. Um, so yeah, it was basically just New York City itself and the sort of the culture of living there was a little bit too stressful for me. I just couldn't really handle it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just, it's, some people really thrive on that and, and they, they eat it up. But for me, it was just kind of not really, not really my scene, I guess. No, that's cool. I think it's just important to put out in, out there that there's multiple places and scenes and, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to school for jazz now that may not end up in New York. And so it's just good for, I think, I think it's good for people to have the reality that there are multiple places to be creative jazz musician and do your thing, you know? Absolutely, I think that's very true. So, and Pete and Will, you guys have a record coming out soon, uh, May, right? So could you give us the scoop about the new record? Yeah, um, so, uh, the the band is a quintet. It's my brother and I on alto and tenor saxes. Jeb Patton on the piano, Dave Wong on the bass, and we've been working with the two of them for a long time. Um, they've actually been on uh, a, a prior before, and they play a lot of gigs with us. They're just um, just knowledgeable about a lot of different styles, and they they kind of bring it all to the table. And uh, we've been wanting for years to record with Jimmy Cobb. Um, and uh, so it all just came together. And uh, we've played a couple concerts with him and a couple gigs. And, um, you know, other than, you know, his, his reputation, he's just like the sweetest guy to work with. And he's always, you know, even though he's, he's one of the famous, most famous drummers in jazz, he's like really just an amazing side man. He's always looking to, you know, what he can bring to the table and how he can make everything come together great. So um, just working with him in the studio was awesome. Mm. And uh, we actually didn't even rehearse the material with him. Um, so, you know, we, we ran through the tunes a couple times, but we really, we didn't want him to be reading or anything. We really wanted him to just be kind of um, interacting and using his instincts and he did amazingly so um it was a really cool experience in the studio so it's it's mostly original music and but uh, it's a couple standards as well nice so i don't like that seems so intimidating to me to like ask jimmy cobb to play on my record like what was the story there how did you get how did you make it that happen uh well we we originally met him uh there's a guitar player named Ilya lustak who's been kind of tight with, with Jimmy for a while. And so we started hearing Jimmy with play with Ilya. Um, and uh, we started kind of sitting in. So we got to know Jimmy and he kind of gained a trust in us. And he seemed to, you know, like us and like playing. And um, yeah, it, I mean, it, faith, because he doesn't record with everyone. So um, we, you know, we weren't, sure if he'd record with us because we, we've definitely asked other jazz luminaries to record with us who've said no 
you know, I don't, <laughs> you know, even it's not about the money. Like some, some, you know, some great musicians just, just are very picky about, um, about recording is, um, even like, uh, one of our heroes, Barry Harris, he's just kind of decided that he doesn't want to record anymore. Cause he's, he feels like he's getting kind of too frail, um, even though he can play great. But, um, so it was definitely a leap of faith, but it was well worth it. And we're, we're really happy with the result. So, um, but I'll speak for myself. I don't know if, if Pete feels the same way. Yeah. I guess not. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were really, we were really lucky with everything, um, with how everything came together. Yeah. And Jimmy sounds incredible on the record. We are just so lucky that, um, he could join us, um, for the, for the session. And yeah, it was, it, I mean, besides the product, it was just a great experience to work with someone like that and to see, um, how they learn the music, how they approach, um, putting it together. And yeah, like my brother said, even though he's got an incredible reputation, he was there to serve our project and, you know, bring to the table what he had and not sort of like impose like his style or what he wanted to do with it. It was about like what we wanted for the music, um, which is an important lesson uh, to young students who are coming up. It's like sometimes you're in the position of doing your own project, but many other times you're not and you have to adapt and play the way someone else wants you for their project. You have to be able to do both things. Totally. That's, that's cool. What was, was there anything that you took away that you, you could describe like how he handled the situation differently than other people you observe? Oh man. Well, I mean, first of all, just his stamina. I mean, uh, it was a six hour session and he was like, you know, he didn't even need like a lunch break. So wow. he, just, j just like very kind of like humble and ne never asking for special favors or anything like that. Um, wow. and you know, not, not really like picky about the takes and that kind of thing, but you know, he, he, he definitely holds, holds himself to a high standard. So, you know, there's several times when we'd be doing a take and he would, he would stop, stop the take and say like, I'm sorry. I didn't feel like I did that. Well, let's do it again. Um, so he, he was, he was, you know, he was honest and he did, he, he did take it. Um, so, you know, we've all, we've also recorded with, um, Tootie Heath, who was also a joy to record with and, and Kenny Washington and both of those guys too, like acted, uh, extremely professionally. So, um, Jimmy Cobb was no different and he's, you know, well into his nineties now. So yeah. Unbelievable. Amazing. Yeah. So uh, before I let you all go, can we go around one more time? And I want to know two things. One is where's the best place for people to get your music from? Where do you want people to go to, to grab the, your, your record, either new or old? And second, uh, what's your, um, what's your like big quarantine project? What, what are we going to see from you by the end? I think Chris, we already kind of know, but. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, so you know, you that's my yeah, we've already kind of gone over my quarantine project there. Uh, there's this other, um, there's the drummer in Chicago, who's actually a transplant from, from New York from years ago named Eric Vinder. Um, and he's been, he has a lot of really interesting ideas about putting 
putting stuff together uh, online. And we did this thing. I think he started a hashtag called uh, uh, <laughs> he lays down a drum track. And then, you know, your idea is to sort of you play along with the drum track and then he adds it to his track and then quartet or whatever. And so we did we did something on stable mates a couple of days ago and that was pretty cool and I think he's sort of feeling it out and he just he's trying to put together a, a band where everyone records their individual hmm. tracks and then he kind of puts them all together. So I don't know how he's going to do it. It sounds very cool. Um, so I'm going to try to get involved with that and uh, as far as the music goes, I, you know, to be honest with you, I, I, I'm very negligent on my personal website. I just don't update it very often. And partially just because I feel like, although websites are still important, I almost feel like they're going, they're going to go the way of the, of the uh, physical c CD eventually, you know, where it's like people don't really consume your music through, through that media necessarily. Sure. Um, so I, I'm, I'm much more to get my music through Facebook or Instagram. Um, I'm much more active on those platforms and try to get music up on, on there. Um, but uh, yeah, my, my website still has the information on it, chrismadson.net. Um, but I would probably rather see people, uh, you know, uh, find, find my stuff on, on social media. Great. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, as far as our music, I mean, you can, you can go to iTunes. Um, um, you can go to, you can also go to CD baby for both download and ordering the CD, uh, the physical CD. Um, and, uh, yeah, as far as this, you know, period that we're in with the quarantine, um, Will and I are going to record a bunch of, uh, uh, like promotional videos, uh, with, with an editor, both quintet and trio, um, to try to get those out there. I think more and more videos are really um, important in this day and age, um, both for consumers, because they want to see you play, but also just like for promotion for booking concerts and this type of thing. So that's really what we're gonna um, work on uh, during this quarantine period for sure. Mm. Nice. Anything else, Will? Yeah. Um... Well, I think also, also our website's got like all of our albums listed and it's got, um, got a link, uh, where you can buy it download it or buy it. Um, and you know, it'll also be, be, uh, linked on the outside in website. Um, and, uh, yeah, another project my brother and I are working on now is, is, uh, getting together a show that's going to be called the journey of jazz and, um, kind of go through, you know, a hundred years of jazz. So, we're going to be arranging music for that and choosing repertoire. So that's, that's what we're working on as well. So when's that show? Not for, uh, it's, it's going to be in August. August. So hopefully all this will be done by then. So we'll see. We hope so. We hope so. Well, the, uh, pre-order for the new record should be out sometime mid mid April, usually a month before. So people listening, if you're uh, listening to this after the fact, it might be time to pre-order uh, Peter Mill's new album. But uh, thank you all so much for taking some time to chat. I'm glad we could uh, connect. I hope everybody stays safe and healthy, and um, we'll uh, be in touch again soon. Thanks.